to uh, transformation and transcendence uh, you know podcast uh, roundtable. Uh, we have uh, you know, Ben Bennett Carpenter, a life coach, and uh, uh, Joshua Morrow, a therapist and life coach, Farid Lazaba, a life coach and therapist, and Leah Dickinson, both a life coach and therapist. And the life coaching for us is going to be um, taking on a rather spiritual dimension, right? that kind of thing. So we're, we often just we talk about cases, we talk about concepts, we talk about issues, um, and so maybe there's questions too. We also uh, we're launching this platform, so there may be ideas just thrown about about the launch itself. Also, I do have a book coming out, and so we may talk a bit about that too, which is a spiritually inclined book. So it has relevance to um, the kind of the work we're doing. It's not just a book; it's it's a book that's uh, integrated with the launch of the platform university. So thanks everybody, and how's everybody doing today? Good. Sick. So far, so good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no complaints. Okay. Any um, any issues to talk about that are up, or um, you know, impasses in any of the treatments or any of the work? Uh, any any questions about the book or about the platform, anything like that? We just we get the ball rolling, and then typically we usually we got a lot to say. Yeah, I have a question for you, Dr. Sellers, and the rest of the uh, members of the uh, meeting. Um, this is about two clients that I had um, recently. How do you guys think you would approach? talking to clients about being more open in their expression of feelings um, in sessions, not being so over-controlled. Um, I wonder if you guys have had experiences before where it's very clear that a client is trying to explore um, their thoughts about something and they're having strong feelings, but you can also tell they're really trying to control them let's take the example of sadness, like you can tell they're holding back tears. What are some ways that we can encourage them to express their feelings, um, to show them that the expression of feelings is useful for them um, and will help them in the process? Because from what I've seen, some clients have the idea that to express feelings is a weakness, um, is a silly thing to uh, use an exact a uh, quote that I've heard uh, once or twice from different clients, um, maybe not useful to them. Um, so how would you suggest that we can make the therapy environment as warm and welcoming for their um, expression of feeling and how can we encourage them to do so and show them that it'll um, benefit um, the uh, the process that, that um, unfolds with what we do with them? Very good question. Would anyone else like to start? Well, I'll jump right in. I think, oh, go ahead, Leah. Yeah. All right, I'll jump right in. Because um, I, I, my hunch was everybody's got something on this one. Uh, it's a good good way to kick it off, Fareed. Uh, I mean, a couple things that come to mind for me right away is um, probably things you're already thinking of and 
I'm probably already doing, but I mean, one is just um, if the if the client isn't already aware that it's a safe place and like, hey, this is the place. Like um, some some are, but I think I sort of forget and I have to remind myself like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, many of my clients aren't really aware that this is this is the place like if there's any place to uh, be able to sa safely uh, express their emotions in a controlled environment controlled limited environment um, that I mean this is the place to do it and um, so I do think of that idea of long along with it being safe that there's an element of it being limited uh in this group we've talked about that before of like this sense that like uh oh if if i open the floodgates you know uh when does it end like if i open the crack to my feelings at all is that it like i'm gonna be absolutely wiped out you know um and so it makes me think of like wow you know we're we're in this room or if it's virtual it's like well we're in this session you know you're you're in your room i'm in my room or office or what have you um and there's this limited amount of time whatever it is it's a 45 minute session hour session whatever it is um and there's this time space that if if there's an acceptance that boy can i um can i have uh can i accept that uh it's okay for 45 minutes or an hour within this space to just mm -hmm. go ahead and crack that open let's or just let down let down and, and let that come forward um so that's that's one thing the other thing i just mentioned real fast is just that the idea that uh feelings provide information <laughs> and mm -hmm. um i know dr sellers can talk a lot about this but uh i mean to me that's like uh, when that first dawned on me years ago, I was like, what? I just had never, ever thought of that. Um, and so if people are kind of in a mindset of like, feelings are useless, feel it, because you kind of mentioned that for you. It's like, yeah, it's, like, it's silly, it's, it's useless. It's like, mm -hmm. no, that's actually not accurate. Um, so some, for some clients, if, they, if, they, if it can dawn on them that, whoa, this, these feelings are data, it's like, oh, now suddenly they have value. So I, I've been going on for a while here, so I'll, I'll stop there. But, well, I, yeah. I will just say briefly before Leah chimes in, I think you're right, Ben, that there is this kind of philosophical bias, we might call it, in Western culture that there's the rational verbalizing part of us and there's the feeling part of us. And the idea that is probably implicit in all of us is that to be fully rational and deal with life in the best way we must exercise our rational faculties as well as possible with little to no influence or maybe even contamination from the feelings or as previous thinkers would have called them the passions um so you're right i think part of it is just explaining to clients that actually feelings and participating in a vital way in the session bringing your feelings in gives you more data it supplements the intellectual verbal knowledge that i'm sure a lot of clients are already getting in therapy or uh, life coaching 
you want to supplement that with the feelings that orient you and organize the um the more intellectual kinds of knowledge so yeah i think i think that's um that's a good way to go about it for particular um clients yeah i to just kind of piggyback off of what both um you have said um i have dealt with this also with some of my clients and i get the feeling from them and like the verbalization from one of them was well you know i just feel like it's a waste of my time because i only have so much time in session with you so i want to be able to talk as much as i can and you know get that information out but i think again the piece that's missing is that people forget that crying is cathartic that it releases oxytocin and endorphins and it actually helps produce like that feel-good response so in many regards it's a very healing process also um you know with the idea of information that's provided, it can also provide us with an understanding of specific areas in which the client tends to feel more emotional about, which will then give us a better idea of some of those patterns and themes that, um, you know, bring up more intensity so that we as the therapists and life coaches can better assist and you know, be able to be more in tune with what the client is, you know, experiencing, but also help the client to be more aware of what they're experiencing. Um, so I think that that is maybe also another way of bringing it in is helping our clients understand the more the science-based approach to it, but also like the safety aspects and also the aspects around, hey, because this is information, now we have more to work with and it's not a waste of time for you to experience yourself here because you're the one that's that feels this way and maybe you're perceiving that other people might feel the same way however that may not necessarily be accurate and you may benefit from experiencing it here mm -hmm. and and besides catharsis uh, leah what comes to my mind is the idea of gestalt formation. Um, I've been reading more about uh, Gestalt theory uh, recently, and the idea is that we may have certain feelings and attitudes that we're not safe to express at a certain time or circumstance, but they never go away. They live on in us in certain ways that might come out in distorted forms, in self-sabotaging behavior, in procrastination, in interpersonal problems, general unclarity in life. The space that we create with clients helps them to re-engage those kinds of feelings and attitudes, what is called the uh, gestalt formation, the figure background formation. Um, and then by engaging those feelings and attitudes, they can start to work on those kind of unresolved conflicts. So that process from what i'm reading about it cannot be done verbally and i don't know if you guys have had any clients that sometimes say maybe in past therapy um, encounters or life coaching that yeah they've been talking about the problem but it's like they understand themselves but they can't really do anything about it it's like they have the intellectual understanding of what's going on but somehow it's stale it's not enough to get them to um to improve themselves in meaningful ways and develop themselves so i think that besides catharsis which you mentioned um leah there's also just the 
gestalt formation, we might call it, that happens when you allow yourself to re-engage those feelings and attitudes that you have suppressed or otherwise distorted in some way, when in the session you're able to bring them back out, I think it gives you um, clarity and renewed vitality in life and um, you know the kind of improvements that uh, people come to us for. Yeah. You want to chime in? Yes. Yes. Um, so this is brilliant. Um, there's so much here. the The emotional problem that I find with my clients is to address your point, Ben, that like it's not only about feeling safe in the room that, okay, I can express this, but it's like the internal system feeling safe itself. Like there's a reason that they've probably shoved these emotions out of the system because it's just gonna overwhelm them or it's just gonna come in. And so like the client has to feel safe. I can experience this within this room for this hour and then leave not feeling it again or something of something like not like, I just, I, I saw this client and I had an interesting week this week and clients getting mad at me, which is surprisingly, I'm actually excited about. I'm like, yes, come on, get mad at me. Like, like have a little bit of that fire coming out in the session and directed at me because they don't have anyone in their life that they can direct this towards. Um, but um, so anyways, um, and Oh, there's so much. I'm sorry, guys. My mind is all over the place having to talk last. Well, Josh, Joshua, I'm going to jump in right there because I've just the thought there is that uh, the immediate thought for me is that they're feeling safe with you enough that they'll, they'll, you know, it sounds a little harsh and extreme, but I thought about this for myself too. Is like that they're, they feel that they trust you enough and that's safe enough that they, they will quote unquote, target you with their, that uh, primal emotion of anger. <laughs> I, it, it wasn't, it was, it was, it was all through looks. It was all through looks. And, and what it was, was that like, I'm like, so what I'm doing is I'm doing a free thing. I'm trying to help them access these different emotional states. But then if I touch into one, and there's a defense mechanism in them that's like, we don't go there. And I haven't been able to connect with their defenses and reassure them that it's safe to go there. Then that anger just both times just flared right up and they just shifted right out of that sadness, loneliness, whatever state that they were going into. Um, like one of my clients shared with me that it was, uh, she, she dissociates and she's sort of numb. So she she has like the layers for her is there's an anger, there's a hurt, and then there's an anger over that, but she can never access her anger. And so then the next layer of that is numbing to get out of the anger, but then to get out of the numbing, she dissociates. And so like, we've just sort of laid out this, the psychodynamic sort of connections between these and, um, but 
she says even below that now is this sort of intense numbing and place of despair where she used to self-harm. And so she really doesn't want to go there. And so um, that's why for me, it's in the, it's like, I have to feel like she has to feel safe that she can access this in this room and then not carry that over into home where she has kids and she has a family and a life mm-hmm. and that it can remain contained. And so this, like Dr. Sollers, you taught me the emotional containment concept. And that's, that's, I think about that a lot when I'm in sessions is to like try and help the clients just like hold these emotions, even if it's just for like these little bits so they can get comfortable with, oh, I can do this. I can actually do this. Like it's, it's, it's not going to overwhelm me. It's not going to open the floodgates kind of thing. May I, feelings don't have to dictate actions. In other words, if you feel in your office, she may feel safe. Maybe not. Maybe you're working on that, you know. But in her family life, for example, she may not. And feelings, if she gets mad at somebody or she's hurt by somebody, she doesn't have to be compelled to talk about that, you know, internally or externally through advice by someone else. I mean, you 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 talk about it or you express it based on does it help you? Does it help your relationship right now? Is it something to further advance what you need to do, something you're trying to convey? communicate. If not, maybe you want to wait, for example. So feelings are not facts and feelings don't have to dictate what you do. People do feel that. They fear that. That means if I get mad at somebody, that means I have to go tell them, tell them off or something. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean that. I had this one client who said, you know, finally getting in touch with his anger after many years. And he said, well, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Go fucking kill him? I said, no, no, man. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. I said, just feel what you're feeling. You know, you don't have to say anything if you don't want. Just it's just really important for you that you feel it and then process it. And you can talk to me about it, whatever. But and then you can feel other feelings involved with the anger, but uh, and maybe communicate better at some point, but you don't have to be compelled to say anything to anybody. It's your feelings and it's your judgment about what serves you best, you know. So anyway, that's a really important one. This idea that because you feel something doesn't mean in the future you're compelled to act on it, say something, you know, and sometimes people get the idea that means they have to get in a fight with somebody too. They don't have to do that. You really don't have to do that. So anyway, that's, I think that's a big one, right? I I think Dr. Sollers that so much of our participation in daily life, whether it's our interpersonal relationships at work, so much of it now is predicated on a certain degree of suppression of our feelings that I suspect because suppressing our feelings is such a normal part of our daily functioning, maybe that's what gives us the impression that if we do open the floodgates to use um, Josh's metaphor, that we won't be able to function. We won't be able to have our actions reflect our values as opposed to um, reflect these feelings. So I think that the current state of affairs now where, I don't know if anyone else gets this sense, but maybe it's always been this way, you know, since uh, what was that Freud book, uh, Civilization and its Discontents about how a natural part of a civilization forming is we have to kind of resign and suppress and sublimate some of our feelings. Maybe we're doing that so much now that it's hard for us to distinguish between allowing us to feel 
and having there be behavioral consequences. Because of course, as you say, Dr. Sollers, there's an obvious difference between them. You can allow yourself to feel a certain way towards someone and not have it reflect in your actions. I'm being reminded now of a certain client I had um, last year where um, he was very reluctant to talk about his feelings towards a family member because uh, he was actually from uh, from uh, similar culture to mine where it's considered extremely disrespectful to speak ill of family members. Um, so he found himself in a position in multiple sessions where he clearly had feelings of frustration, but he wasn't willing to access that part of himself because not only did he think it would be disrespectful in that moment, but he also had this concern, if I access this part of myself, will it reflect in my actions? Will I not be able to honor and uphold them as I have to as part of an extended family unit? And what we ended up discovering is this paradox of actually, if you don't access those feelings and attitudes, they end up coming out in certain ways, whether you want them to or not. And I don't know, Dr. Sollers, if there's like a fancy uh, tech term for that, maybe return of the repressed, but like there tended to be with this certain client, this tendency for these unaccessed feelings to come up. And the paradox is once you access them and express them and then control and hold them and just have a grasp on them, that's when your behaviors can start to reflect their values. So I suppose that also needs a term, this like strange paradox of like, it's actually once you've accessed these sometimes negative feelings and allowed them the space that they deserve that your behaviors can um, reflect your values. It's not what we tend to think naively that, oh, if I access them or if I express them, then my behaviors are at risk of becoming what I don't want them to be. So it's I think- It's the opposite. It's the, unless you believe you have to express what you feel. You don't have to. That's not a mandate, right? I mean, for instance, you could be mad at somebody and you may conclude, well, the best thing to do is let it be now. Or you might conclude, well, I just need to be able to say this is what I want because that's what my frustration leads me to be mad at them. And you don't have to tell them off. You don't have to call them names. You don't have to say they're bad people. You just say what you want. So you may use that material from your information has been referred to, from your feelings to... Uh, effectively navigate your social environment, your relationships, right, more effectively. And Henry would call, Henry Crystal was one of my analysts, he would call this emotional uh, continence, conscious emotional continence, which means what you're saying, if you can hold it in your conscious mind, contain it and work it over, you have all kinds of information and you can deftly craft what you want to do. If you don't, the tail wags the dog. You get so mad sometimes you pop off or you say a snide comment or things like that. You know, it, they sneak out of you, right? They sneak out. Uh, otherwise, you sometimes you stonewall, you get cold. And people, they may not kind of get it all entirely, but they, they know when you're mad at them. And if you, don't, if you don't like engage it this way and then find a way to communicate, they get it that you're, you've got something going on and, and it bleeds out. It pops, you pop off, etc. Uh, but you're right. Maybe there's a good word for that, but uh, it does happen that way, you know. So uh, if you, but if you're conscious of your feelings, you have all kinds of um, different opportunities to express them or express elements of them effectively. Yeah. 
maybe maybe we could term that emotional constipation because like i don't know i know that that sounds really silly but like I, it needs to have a name so i don't know someone needs to coin it but for now i'm coining it as emotional constipation and i think i'm going to reflect that to my clients let me add one thing too i know we're getting near the end because we have to stop so this idea of numbing that is a fate of feelings when people feel like they can't express them or there's pain or there's hurt you know they feel like well then i'll deaden myself you know i'll deaden myself and what happens then is you then you it becomes a global response and you become more of a dead deadened kind of personality and you don't feel zestful you don't feel impassioned with life you lose a sense of felt sense of meaning sometimes because the aggression at least get you involved in life, you know? If you feel it, I don't mean act it out, but if you feel it, you know, you, you're mad because, you know, you want something you can't get, or you're mad because you're hurt, or you're mad because you feel something that, you know, is missing. So it's a, it's a longing for, for life. But if you can't own that, you can't own the hurt or the shame or the pain, the deadening process is really uh, kind of malignant. It really is, is not, it's not good and people get depressed then and they have to go through with therapy or coaching they have to go through you know different levels of trying to access these feelings that have been suppressed and even deadened sometimes by holding the body tension body tension stuff like that you know uh trauma gets held because you know you don't want to feel the outrage about it it isn't just the trauma it's that the outrage or the pain or the hurt you don't want to talk about express it because it feels like it's too much and then the deadening process really causes can cause all kinds of problems uh and there's a word for that which is uh, aside from the deadening process alexithymia is the word for you people don't understand to have access or names for their feelings so they they over time they really can't talk about their feelings at all very well they just don't know and like for joshua his client dissociated some people become obsessional some people project it and become paranoid. Some people turn it on themselves and become depressed. Some people hold it, suppress it, become anxious because they're afraid they're going to pop off. So there's a lot of different things to that suppression of feelings, I think, which is um, kind of what we've been talking about. You know, that different fates occur when you aren't able to access these feelings. This is why it's really one of the number one things we do in therapy and coaching that has a psychological value to it you know is we try to help people accept their feelings manage them and find ways to negotiate and communicate them effectively again not having to pop off but but using it as information to negotiate life uh constructively and effectively and, uh, and I'll, I'll say, uh, oh i'm sorry ben sorry for you go ahead yeah thank you um very briefly i'll just say um i think that's what a lot of potential clients should be looking for because there's this idea that coaching or therapy is just for people with specific symptoms, lack of sleep, anxiety, maybe chest pains. It doesn't have to be a symptom in the medical sense. It can be just this vague sense of I'm going through the motions in life. I'm getting everything done, but gosh, there's this lack of full participation I feel. I don't feel connected to what I'm doing. I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel like I'm just a bystander in my own life. That is not a trivial complaint. It's not a symptom in the medical sense or maybe even the mental health sense, but it's a sign I think that 
there are certain parts of you that you have shut off and lost awareness of. And the benefit of therapy or coaching is it creates an environment where you can re-engage those cast off parts of yourself and get back in touch with them and utilize them for your creative adjustment to life. And that's where the color comes in. That's where the vitality comes in, feeling like you're absorbed with what you're doing. The ironic thing is you probably won't change anything you're doing. Your relationships will remain the same. Your job will remain the same. But you'll have this sense of fuller participation now because you've accessed these attitudes and feelings that, again, for whatever reason, you probably weren't allowed to bring out in a previous time. So you had to either turn against them or distort them or whatever the case may be. Coaching and therapy is an opportunity, is a space for you to bring those parts out, to become familiar with them, to integrate them into your personality, and then use them to, again, creatively endeavor to um, go through life in this kind of more participating way. That is so much of what people are experiencing these days, and I think that is essentially what um, coaching or therapy services can help you with. Good. Ben, you only have the last word. I think you've been trying to say a few things. Thanks. Thanks. Everybody. It doesn't it doesn't have to be the last word, but oh, well, I, I mean, in the middle of all in the middle of all this. I was just thinking how yeah. yeah, yeah uh I was thinking how it's just been a revelation for me to uh separate or distinguish between thoughts, feelings, and actions. You know, and that's it's something that you talk about, uh, uh, Dr. Salas, you were just talking about it. And um, I mean, it's like uh, sometimes I think of my life as a long series of realizing the obvious. And it sounds in a way so obvious, like thoughts are different from feelings are different from actions. But, you know, I remember the time when and I and I still come back around to that. But it's just being able to start to pull those apart um, is just so rich. And part of that too goes back to the kind of the original question is like, wait a minute, if what I feel doesn't have to exactly coincide with what I'm going to do right now, then I can actually explore it, <laughs> you know? So it's sort of a relief, like, whoa, wait, we can take these in different parts. Very good. But back to you guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well well, I, we do have to stop. But thanks, everybody. I mean, it was it was rich, as you say. And, uh, you know, we could go on because Fareed's, what Fareed's talking about with the, the numbness and the lack of participation, it's really the, the lack of meaning people develop when they numb so much because they don't have this felt sense of connection, which the existentialists talk about a lot, you know, that this, you know Heidegger went through it, a number of people went through it where they feel this uh, deadness and they don't feel that, even if you lived a thousand years, it wouldn't matter because it doesn't feel like it matters. There's nothing matters, right? That's a real painful state of being. So I think we were touching on that today. In fact, we just touched upon that. Mm. So uh, okay. So thanks everybody. Thank you very much uh, for all your contributions. We'll we'll uh, talk again next week. Have a great day.